All right, if you will, go ahead and start making your way back to your seat. started. So Rachel, so you can remain standing just for a second. So this is Rachel's last day as the director of Camp Redstone, and we just wanted to acknowledge you and say thank you. Yeah, so. Rachel's worked hard. Nancy Neckvastil has taken that uh, position over, and I was thinking about it when Joshua was up here a moment ago. Especially kind of coming from a school, you know, setting, it's like, oh yeah, so she's in charge of Camp Redstone or he's in charge of youth. You know, there's so much that goes with that. You know, it's protection of children. It's, it's making yourself welcoming to parents and to new students. It's curriculum. You know, it's helping them to understand the magnitude of the gospel and be able to present it in a way that they can grasp it and so on and so forth. There's just a lot you know, that, that's happening behind the scenes. You know, how do you get the kids that are coming in, you know, starting school and now they're starting middle school and all of those things, all of those transitions and those conversations are happening. Those things are being prayed through on a regular basis. So it's not just, oh, we've got a kind of a token face that's over Camp Redstone. It's much deeper than that. And Rachel, you've done a great job. You know, so thank you uh, for that. Okay, so here's what's getting ready to happen before I pray. The word of God, which you're going to hear a lot about this morning. I'm sitting today. The word of God is forthcoming. Every pastor has said things that they later regretted or wish that they would have said things that they did not say. Um, just all you know, prone to, to biases or um, just let their own words get in the way. The word says that those who teach are judged more strictly. You know, gulp. I feel the weight of that. You know, sometimes here's what we're going for. The objective in teaching and preaching is this alone. You need to hear this. It's for Christ to be exalted. It's for his word to be understood, which we'll see when we read Nehemiah this morning. And it's for him to grow us through his word. It's not just so that the sermon goes well. And my words will, will be many, and sometimes my humor or lack thereof or illustrations or whatever. It has the potential to keep people from hearing what does the Word of God say and what does it mean. So I'm just asking you, as we jump into our time of prayer, let's just pray that God would open our hearts, open up our minds, that we would see Him and that we would see His Word only. Can you do that with me? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. Uh, for this congregation. I thank you for the, the good things that you're doing here. Lord, I thank you that we have access to your holy word. I think inadvertently we take it for granted. Lord, I don't think that I read and probably that we read your word enough, nor do I think that we understand the power that is in the word of God. Help us to see it, not through my words, but through the scriptures that we'll look at, through the teachings that have come from you. Lord, at the end of the day, we just pray that Jesus would be seen, the gospel would be known, my words would fall quickly to the ground, and only that which is of you will remain. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, I've got a clicker here somewhere. So if you were here last week, just as a reminder... 
as a reminder, we are in 2 Peter, right? And we looked at just, you know, the four, um, you know, the, the outline that, you know, for 2 Peter is don't forget. So we're still in this don't forget section right now. Don't stop growing, which we're really going to look at next week. Don't be deceived. Don't doubt his soon return. And we're going to continue moving forward today. But last week, we did a truth for the day, and it was actually the passage, and I don't have it up there. Anybody want to take a, take a go at it? Anybody remember the truth for the day um, last week? Anyone? Evan? His divine power has, has granted to us all things that pertain to, to life and godliness. Oh, dude, you rocked it. Good job. Okay, so here it is. I'm proud of you, Evan. Internalizing the word of God. Remind me, oh God, that your divine power has granted to me everything that I need. All that pertains to my life and to my living a godly life. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. That was the truth of the day. And we spent a good portion talking about all that falls under life and all that falls under, under godliness. We also spent a little bit of time talking about the, the legend of, of John Henry. You know, maybe with the, the summary, you know, being, yeah, you don't want to like go, 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 go in your own strength. In the end, it's just going to kill you. You know, relying upon the Lord is much better. And I said that last week was part A and that this was part B because if all, the only thing that you heard was his divine power has granted to us these things, it would be a disservice to this church, but it's a disservice to the passage as well because this whole passage fits together as one. So we're headed into our fifth week of 2 Peter and we are making it through verse number four today. So we're, we're going a little slow, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with slowing down because these things are foundational. Um, and I promise you, I think that we'll be finished with Second uh, Peter by Thanksgiving or thereabouts. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Bible. If you have it on your phone or if you have it on your worship guide, because you're going to have to go back to it because after we read it today, I'm actually going to be asking you some questions. Okay, so this is going to be a little back and forth uh, this morning as we jump in. This is, I did it again. I put up there first Peter. I was supposed to remember to change that, and I did not. Okay, Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. I'll read it. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may participate or may be become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Okay. Let's start with a little church participation. I'm just going to call it How to Read Your Bible 101. So here's a few questions for you, but don't answer until everyone's had time to go back and look at the passage. So don't just blurt it out. Okay. 
I'll tell you when. So the first one, we'll start with a, a slow pitch, just easy, easy pitch here. Who's writing this letter? Look at it, don't say. Who's writing the letter? Okay, what's the answer? Simeon Peter. He's giving his full name here. Okay, the second question, to whom, from the passage, to whom is he writing to as it states it? Look at it. Okay, what's the answer? What is it, what, say, what, say it a little bit louder. Go ahead, go ahead, Mary. You got it. Yeah, yeah, okay. There, there you go. Okay. Equal standing, I'm Peter, but your standing is the same as mine because of the gospel. That's important. You can see that. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Okay, question number three. What or who is the source of this equal standing spoken of in verse number one? Look at it. Answer. Yes. Very good. Okay. Next question. Through what or whom is this grace and peace to be multiplied as mentioned in verse number two? Angela, go ahead, say it real loud. Yes, okay, very good. Question number five, through what or whom is this divine power granted? And Luke reminded us it's given in the word in the Greek here. It, whatever it is, it must be good. It's granted to us as stated in verse number three. So the question was, through what or whom do we receive this divine power? Answer? Knowledge of him. Okay. Verse number four. What kinds of promises have been granted to us? Look at it. Verse number four. What kind are they? Ah, very good. Very good. And question number seven. This is our last one. And then we're done for the day and we're going home. It's not true. Okay. And lastly, of what benefit is it to know these precious and great promises as stated in verse number four? Why? So that we may what? What's the answer? Partakers of the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world. Okay, how to read your Bible 101. It forces us to pay attention to words, to prepositions, to what was said before, to who it's being written to. So there's some basic questions. Who wrote this? To whom is it written? Uh, for, or, you know, who wrote it and to whom is it written? For what purpose is it written? Does the author give any background information or state the conditions by which he is writing? Like sometimes Paul would say, I'm writing this from prison. Here's a big one. What does it say? Stop there. What does it say? Another big one. What is in its intent? What does the passage itself mean? What do I learn about God from this passage? What are the key words? Why is it important? We're in reminder. What am I being reminded of here? Why is this important for the church? Why is this important for me as a Jesus follower? How do I internalize what I'm hearing? And so on and so forth. So Sam has it broken down. I'm not sure where he's at. The three questions. What does this passage reveal about God? 
what does this passage reveal, reveal about our fallen sinful condition and our need for a savior? And what does this passage reveal about how God saves us and how he, he intervenes on our behalf? Those are the questions he asks his students um, at school when they're looking at the word of God. So the question is, why is this important? Why take the time to do Bible reading 101? In this case, 2 Peter answers that for us. You've said it. You answered it a moment ago. You're going to probably see this passage pop up here three times because I want you to see what the passage itself says. Okay? Let's look at it. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has been granted to us through all, uh, to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us. And then by the next part is by which he has granted, he's given to us his precious and very great promises so that, I have it underlined, so that through them, these promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. Before Jesus was arrested, flogged, and eventually killed, he prayed this amazing high priestly prayer in John 17 that I encourage you just to go let sink in you know, maybe one day. And he's praying not only for his 12 disciples at the time, but he also prays for us. He says this in verse number 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's going to be key. We're going to see that over and over. That's us. He's praying for us that those that come to faith in Christ through his word, he's praying for them. So specifically, what is he praying. Look at, well, you don't have to look in your Bibles, but look up here. John 17, 17. He says, sanctify them. Jesus praying to the Father says, sanctify them in the truth. And then he says this, your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth, which they will find within your word. Sanctify, sanctification, setting them apart, making them holy. Not only does he pray for our sanctification, but he also shows us in this one brief passage, the main tool mechanism catalyst that he's going to use to grow us is actually the word of God itself. So some people are like, okay, this is another one of these. We need to read our Bible more sermons. And I would say it's much deeper than that. This is a reminder that the truth of God, the ability to, to live in a divine way, in a supernatural way, it comes through the word of God. Peter is saying, if you want to experience, he says it in the passage, grace and peace. If you want to experience his divine nature, if you want help with life and godliness, if you want to be quote unquote partakers of the divine nature, it begins by going to, by looking into the word of God itself. See it? In the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord, through the knowledge of him, precious, great promises. Through these, this is how you can participate in the divine nature. The book of Hebrews says this. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says, Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers how? By the prophets. Do you see that? But now, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. 
whom he has appointed, the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. In John 1, it says that Jesus is the Logos. You know, he is the word himself. He is the representation of what God wants to speak to us. 2 Corinthians 1.20, which I did not put up here, says all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ Jesus. It's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. These great and precious promises of who God is and what he has done, God has spoken to them through Christ and they're revealed in his word and all of the word of God points to him through Christ. Philip says to Jesus, if you'll just show us the father, we'll be happy. And Jesus says, you've been with me this amount of time and you don't you know who I am yet, do you? He says, I and the father are one. If you want to know the Father, if you want to know God as you're, you're speaking the name God, you look to me. If we want to understand who he is, we look to Christ because Jesus said it himself, all of scripture points to him. You diligently study the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, Jesus says. He says, but these are the scriptures that speak of me. These are the scriptures that point to me. So if we want to know God, understand his nature, understand his heart, understand his dealings with man, understand his patterns of extending grace and extending mercy, we have to go to the word of God, and that is by design. If we want to understand the gospel, what he did on the cross, what the implications are for us of what he did on the cross, what that means in our relationship on a day-to-day -day basis, and I could go on and on, we have to go to the word of God. We can't conjure up those answers on our own. Okay, so we're going to do this again. I just want to show you just some amazing truths. I landed in Colossians for no reason at all. It actually, it came up when we were in sermon prep about three weeks ago. I just saw this passage and I was like, ah, here's a great passage. So I just kind of circled it. So let's go to Colossians 1. You can go to your Bibles. I'm going to have it up here as well. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 17. So the point being I need to remember. Remember, that's where we're at. I did a double remember there. I need to remember. Remember? I need to remember who I am in Christ. I need to remember what he has done. I need the word of God to help me with that. So here's Colossians 1, 15 through 17. It says, he, speaking of Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things are created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Okay, just looking at that one passage, what do we learn? What do you learn in that passage? Just look at it. Just loudly just say, oh, I see this. What do you see? Okay, the sun is the image of the invisible God. All things were created by him, for him. So when I look at this, I see a couple of things like, okay, it's pretty clear here. He's in charge. I'm just making it simple. He's in control and I've been created and you've been created for him. Now, we don't have to overcomplicate it, but I know that because this passage reminds me of that. Okay, so let's keep going. Let's look at verses 21 through 22. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, 
He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present, present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. All right. There's a lot there. What do we learn that we need to be reminded of in this passage? What do you see? We were enemies. We were at enmity with God, says the word of God. We can't make it right. So carry that thought a little further, Mark. So what does the gospel do? What does this atonement do? It makes it right. That's what reconciliation means. There's a brokenness here. We were at enmity, and because of the cross, we have been reconciled to God. Do you see that? What else? And because of the reconciliation, what is our standing now? Holy. Do you all need to be reminded of that on a regular basis throughout the week, or is it just me? Holy. Because I'm holy? Nah, you're not really holy on your own because you do mess up on a regular basis. But because it's been imputed, there's a good Christian term, it's been imputed to you through the righteousness of Christ, you are declared holy, <clears throat> holy, holy, above reproach before him. Okay, here's a bigger one, and we won't spend a lot of time, but it's just such a great passage, I want you to see it anyway. I'll break it up into two different slides. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay. There's a lot there. There's a lot of words. What do we learn? What truths do we see? What reminders are there? Well, one, you just start with, there are individuals or teachers that are going to, and this is what Peter is saying in 2 Peter, that are going to try to take you captive by philosophy and empty deceit that's not going to have its foundation as the word of God itself. All of God dwells within Christ fully. Okay, let's keep going. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the power, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead, and you, I love this, just look at it. You were once dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Does anyone want to rejoice and say glory when you see this? He disarmed the rulers, the authorities, and put them to open shame. And he triumphed over them in him. Like, okay, Peter's saying, you have forgotten the gospel. And as long as I am in this tent of a body, I am going to remind you of things. I know you know them, but you are forgetting them daily, going into the word of God. 
reminding myself who he is, that he is in control of all things, whatever the situation is that I am in. It's not something that he's like, hey, I don't know anything about that. Of course he knows. He's God. He's sovereign. He's Lord over all. And I have a relationship with him because I have been reconciled to him. And my sin will not keep me from him because if I confess my sins, he's faithful and he's just and he will forgive me of my sins and he'll purify me of all unrighteousness. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. I need that reminder daily. And when I wake up and I go through this life and I'm struggling, I'm like, God, I need to be reminded that your divine power is given to me. It's given to me. It's granted to me everything I need for this life and to be godly. I have to tell myself that. I need to remind myself of that. It's not self-help. It's the word of God just, just welling up within us and reminding us of the things that we need to be reminded in. I meet with a lot of people on a regular basis. There's a myriad of conversations that I have, and I drink way too much coffee. I will just say that right now. But one of the questions that always comes up in those conversations, there's struggle. It's not always bad. There's, sometimes it's like, hey, I just want to hang out with you. Let's just rejoice. Right? But sometimes it's like, this is the struggle. Here's where I'm at in life. I'm not in a good place right now. Marriage is struggling. I'm struggling with sin. Whatever. But I'll go back to, okay, let's talk about, I'll just open-ended question. Let's talk about, what does your time in the Word look like? The majority of time, the answer is, yeah, I'm really struggling with that right now. Not always. But usually that's an answer. I'm like, okay, let's talk about that. And, it's, and, and I know sometimes it's like, I know, I know. I've got to read my Bible more. That's not what we're, we're fishing for. The answer is not read your Bible more. The answer is know Jesus better. Understand his truth better. Be reminded of who he is and what he has done. And just because you're in pain and you're struggling and there's been heartache or you have questions about life, it doesn't mean that you're going to open up the Bible and all of that pain is going to go away. That's not what I'm prescribing here. So understand that. There's pain. There's difficulty. Jesus says you're going to have trouble in this world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world, but you're still going to have trouble in the, in the world. But I need to be reminded that he's still in charge of the world. I need to be reminded that even if it takes me to death, that there's hope beyond the grave. I need to be reminded of all of these things. And I need to be reminded that trying to be like John Henry and live this life in my own strength is futile. It'll be the death of me or the death of my relationship with this person or my job or whatever. I cannot do it on my own. I need him. Sam read it earlier in Psalm 36 where it said, in your light, we see light. We go to the light to see light. I'm going to read this one passage to you. In fact, I encourage you just to turn there. It's Nehemiah 8. It's a lengthy passage. I don't apologize that it's a lengthy passage, but it is a lengthy passage. So this is going to be 12 pretty long verses. So Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 12. Nehemiah 8, 8 1 through 12 says this. Okay, now here's, before we read, here's the setting. Remember... The walls had come down. The Israelites were scattered. The Lord had called Nehemiah and said, I want you to go back and I want you to rebuild the walls in Jerusalem. 
There's a lot that happened. You need to go back and read Nehemiah. I hope we get to preach through it at one day. But the walls have been rebuilt. There's, there was much opposition. People did not want the walls to be rebuilt, but it, they were rebuilt. God was faithful to his promise. Nehemiah was faithful as a leader. The walls have been, re, been rebuilt. And then this moment happens. So let's look at it together. It says, And all the people gathered as one man in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. We didn't have a New Testament, so this is just the, you know, this is like the first, you know, five books of, of the Bible. It had been a long time since the people sat under the, the hearing or the teaching of the word of God, so this was a solemn moment. Verse number two, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard, which is one of the reasons why I love it when Camp Redstone's in here. Like, I love it because they're like sitting there drawing and they're coloring, but they're listening. You know, they're paying attention. They can understand the things that are being said. Okay. On the first day of the seventh month, verse number three, and he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday. Do not complain about my long sermon. From early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand it, the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for that purpose. And beside him stood a lot of people. I'm not going to read those. On his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood there was this reverence. Why? The word of God is getting ready to be read. Also, these other people helped the people to understand the law. There were individuals that God had raised up for the purpose of help them with instruction, break it down, help them to understand the power of a preposition, you know, help them to understand what this means and what Moses has written. Okay, verse number eight, they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave sense so that the people understood the reading. That's what we're trying to do as well, even on a Sunday morning. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. What a powerful picture this is. This solemn assembly where it's the word itself that is front and, and center. There was reverence as it was read. There were teachers that were there to break it down and to give it understanding. And the charge that was given after they heard it, don't put your heads down. You're not condemned. Right? There's hope. Rejoice. You have the word of God and the Lord is giving it to you. So they hear it just like we did and they learn from it just like we did in Colossians. And what Peter is saying to his listeners, hear, pay attention, remember then rejoice. Get your head up. 
And he's getting ready to step into that next week and say, because of what you just heard in the word of God, if it does not change the way you're living, that you need to go back because it's powerful. It is God who's working in you to will and act according to his purpose. Holy God resides within you. He has given you his holy word and his divine power has given you everything that you need for life and for godliness. Rejoice. Put your head up. Going back to our passage today, three times, in the knowledge of God, through the knowledge of him who called us, he granted us these precious and very great promises, and it's through them we can participate in the divine nature. You know, that John 17, 17 passage that I read earlier, sanctify them, you know, by your truth. Your word is truth. I was thinking, I was actually having lunch with Cameron Yarbury yesterday, and um, we, were, we were talking about just the change that we've seen in just different people. Two and a half years. I can name names. You, you know these people. And I'm like, he's not the same person that he was two and a half years ago. She's not the same person that she was two and a half years ago. We've just seen sanctification take place where Jesus is taking someone and conforming them more and more to the likeness of himself. And there's a boldness. There's a gospel de declaration. There's a, there's a peace. There's a love. There's a joy. There's a, a, just a confidence that wasn't there before. That's what happens because those individuals, man, they had just dug into the word of God. In the same way that the word was front and center for Ezra in Nehemiah, it was also the word of God that was front and center at the Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther and all of the other reformers that led to the Protestant Reformation, which is the only reason that Redstone Elizabethan exists today. There was a protest. There was a reformation. We need the word of God and you all are keeping the word of God from us. So Martin Luther nails these, these, these theses, you know, it got him into all kinds of trouble. And because of that, people were flogged People were killed. People were burned at the stake as they were fighting for the word of God to be released to the people. It's the word of God that's the catalyst for church growth, true church growth that's happening in remote villages and towns and cities all over the world. Right now, people have just portions of the word of God, pages from the word of God, and they just read it and they teach it over and over and over. And God is raising up his church through the truths that come from those pages. In the same way, it must be the word of God that's central to us when we teach each week, when we step into community groups, in our discipleship groups, in our women's groups, in our men's group. This is not, let's figure it out through camaraderie and you know, communion and just hanging out together and let's spur one another on. No, let's go back to the word of God and think how can we live it out and ask how do we live it out. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth and it's the word of God that must be central to each of us individually as well. As he grows us in the deeper understanding and relationship with him. Just side note, you've heard, I'm not going to share the story. I was broken. I was on a gym floor. I cried out to God and I said, I am sorry. I have lived my life with religion as the stamp on my forehead. 
I've read your word because I'm supposed to. I don't understand it. I don't know that you're really there. If you're there, I need you to show me that. I want to go home and I want to read your word, but I beg you, oh God, if you are real and if your word is real, please show me. And he did. He did. It's like Jesus, you know, healing the leper, you know, or the blind man. He says, now go and tell everyone what the Lord has done for you. I am. I have been convinced of the power of the word of God and with every amount of energy, rhetoric that I can muster up, I'm telling you, if you will prayerfully go to the word of God and ask God to meet you there, he will reveal his truth to you in supernatural ways and it will change your life. This is more than, oh, I I was reminded in the sermon to read the word of God. This is the word of God leads you to the truth that will transform your life. We must prioritize it. We must be in it. We must study it. We must allow maybe just one passage to pour over us over and over and over. These these believers that people, uh, that Peter was writing to, they were being deceived by individuals that were using the word of God, but they were doing it wrongly. So we've got to be careful. I think about this passage in Acts 17, 10 through 13. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than, the Thessal- than those in Thessalonica. Why? I got it in red. It says, Because they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed. Well, many believed, but that also means that many didn't believe. But many did believe, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well um, as men. But then the Jews, look at this, but then the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, and they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. They studied it. They wanted to know if it was true or not. Today's a a dangerous time as far as information is concerned. There's a lot of teachers. There are a lot of podcasts. There's a lot of stuff that's out there. I remember last year having a conversation with someone, and they were like, yeah, just listen to this podcast. This is why I have this position that I have. I went and listened carefully to the podcast. It was really, really good, but it was very inaccurate. And the Greek that was being used was being completely misapplied. The words that were used were taken completely out of context. And what it had done was it had had lured the listener in and given them false truth. Well, these guys are like, let's go study it to see if it's really true. And that's what the Lord's calling us to do as well. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing comes by the word of God, by the message of Christ. It is the word of God that leads us to truth. And why did the Jews get upset and come after them in this passage? Did you see it right there at the end? Look at it in verse number 13. Because they learned that the word was spreading and they knew that if people were taught the word of God, which points them to Christ and his gospel, that these people would change. They would no longer depend upon the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests and their religious notions that they were presenting to people. They would understand that faith leads to Christ and Christ has atoned for their sins and they didn't have to keep the law. Jesus had fulfilled the law. The goal of the unbelieving, disgruntled Jewish leaders, keep the word from spreading. The goal of the enemy to the church today 
keep the word from spreading or misapply it and confuse people or make them think that it's not reliable, that it's not from God and it doesn't apply to them today because it's archaic. The goal of the enemy for you today, for me today, keep you from trying to figure out life, pain, sin, suffering, trials, relationships, and so on and so forth without using the word of God. Keep you out of daily time in the word where, you'll, where you will find Christ, where you will find hope. Or make you so preoccupied with things in this world that you will not take time to get into the word of God. This has reinforced this, this hatred of the word of God in the book of Revelation 6-9. It says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And for the witness that they had borne, slain by the enemy, for, for what purpose? Because they taught the word. They took the word. They shared the word. They believed the word. The word they understood is paramount. If these people are going to understand the gospel and understand this divine power, they have to have the word of God. And these people died by taking the word of God to individuals. Within it is divine power for life and for godliness. The word. We're all at different places sitting here today. Some of you, if you're honest, never look at the word except on Sunday mornings when you're in church. Some of you, this is, there's no condemnation here. There's hope, okay? So don't think I'm beating anyone over the head. This can be me too at any moment in time. Some of you read it sporadically. Some of you read it daily, but you read it daily in a way that you go, check, read my Bible today. Some of you have read it through many times. Some of you have never read through the Bible and you've been a Christian for many, many years. And then there's some who are saying, you know, I'm actually doing pretty good. I'm in the Word. I study it. I'm in a Bible study group. I don't know that this message is for me. And I'm saying, no, 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 no. Love God and love your neighbor. You should grieve for your brothers and sisters that don't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ through, through, through just being in the word on a regular basis. You should grieve for them and long for them to be in the word. You should go after them and establish community Bible reading plan with them or bringing them into a, a Bible reading, you know, discipleship group or whatever, whatever. It should disturb us when we see people that are trying to live the Christ Christian life without the word. I met with a guy a couple of weeks ago. Just, he's, he's like trying so hard to do so many good things. I'm like, but how, how often do you read? He's like, yeah, I really don't read the word of God. I don't know. I just don't think that that's necessarily needed. You know, and I'm just like, you can just see my neck turning red. I'm like, yeah, it's necessary. It's necessary. Why? Because through the word, we come to know him. So where do you land today? in your understanding and your practice of regular Bible intake? Or maybe the greater question would be, what goal can I make that I can dig in deeper? What adjustments can I make prayerfully before the Lord, maybe it's just baby steps, that would get me into the word 
on a more regular basis. Just a baby step. Maybe it's just five minutes. Maybe it is jumping into a, a community Bible reading group. Jesus takes the faith of a mustard seed. He'll take your, your step of faith, however small that it might be. Why? Because his desire is to know you. That's what the gospel is all about, being reconciled to God, not just to be forgiven, but by, by knowing the creator, by walking with him as Adam and Eve had done. On that note, I'm going to close by reading this passage by J.I. Packer in his monumental book called Knowing God. He says this, What were we made for? To know God. What aim should we set ourselves in life? To know God. What is the eternal life that Jesus gives? To know God and Jesus Christ whom, you, whom God has sent, is what the word says. What is the best thing in life that brings more joy, delight, and contentment than anything else? The knowledge of God. Listen to this from Jeremiah 9. Thus saith the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, nor the mighty man in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. Here it is. But let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord. To which Peter would add to that, and to know him so intimately that we can participate in the divine nature, how will you be able to do that? The word says it in, in 2 Peter, through his great and precious promises, through them, knowledge of God, partakers in the divine nature, may grace and peace be multiplied to you through, in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who's called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and great promises. And through them, you, not somebody else, you can participate in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. We'll spend a little bit of time in prayer. Maybe some things to, you know, as you're, you're stepping into your, your time of prayer. Just honest questions. Lord, what do I need to hear? What are you saying in this, these passages? What do I need to hear? How do I need to apply this? Let's just spend some time in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word. May we, as Nehemiah and Ezra did, may we elevate it where it should be because it points to your glorious gospel of who you are and what you have done, that you have rec reconciled us to you as creator. I'll just be still for a minute so that the Lord can meet you where you're at.
Now, Lord, just grow us, encourage us, remind us. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Yeah, we got a few minutes. Uh, let's, Sam, you got a mic? Where are you? Okay, Sam's got a microphone. So where are you encouraged? Where are you challenged? Where are you convicted? We encourage one another every day as long as it's called today. That's what this is for. So no condemnation. Mary's already got her hand up. So we'll share. We'll have a few people share if you'd like to, and then we're going to spend some time worshiping. I just want to give a brief testimony. Um, a couple of weeks ago, my sister and I were driving back from New York where we'd gone to visit a sister and leaving early in the morning, and we got a phone call. My sister got a phone call that um, her son had died in his sleep. No drugs, um, no known illnesses, 36 years old. And um, so I had to drive another 10 hours to bring her home. And these tsunamis of horrific grief just pouring over my sister and over me. And um, we wouldn't have made it without the precious and exceedingly great promises of God. Um, I just started praying out loud, God, help us. Help us right now in this moment because we have a long drive and I need you to help me drive and, and just help my sister. And I started praying and, and the word of God just flowed forth and my sister started praying and the word of God flowed forth and our cries for help from God turned to thanksgiving to God. Thank you for Joe. Thank you for his life. Thank you for giving him to me for 36 years. And we kept going, and the word of God kept coming. And, and my sister's thanksgiving turned to praise and the knowledge that her son is with the Lord. And um, that happened over and over on the way home when she would just be drowning in grief, and the Lord would just lift her up through his word and his precious and exceedingly great promises. And last night, Keith and I sat with her again, and she just sank down into grief. And I put my arm around her, and I just started praying. And then she started praying, and she started thanking God, and then she started praising God. Hmm. And she said, I have peace. The peace of God is right here on me. So... These precious and exceedingly great promises um, are true and they're real in, a, in the time of need. God is with us in the most powerful way. And we're still going through that process and we know how to do that. And at one point, my sister just got her phone and turned the Psalms on and we listened to one Psalm after another. And just like God assured us from his word, and after 10 hours, we got back. And, uh, of course, all of our family was praying for us and have gotten through two weeks. Last week, one of our friends, 49, just died, a healthy man. His son said maybe it was a heart attack, and we were at the funeral home 
yesterday, and his mother said she's already gone through the death of her other son and her husband and a daughter-in-law in the last three or four years, and she said, I know God will get us through. Just please pray. So we need to um, hang on to the Word of God because nothing else yeah. gets you through. Right, I know. Yeah, thanks for sharing, Mary. Keep, keep that family in, your, in our prayers as well. Anyone else want to share this morning? Or who's next, I guess, is the way I should ask that. Angela. Um, this week, my sister and I have been talking a lot about um, the more that we know God, the more that we see our sins, and the more that the cross, be like, the cross becomes bigger. And in reverse of that, when we stop knowing God, like when we stop seeking him, our sin becomes less, and we stop seeing how much we need the cross. And we yeah. start thinking, oh, I can be like God. I, I, I can do this myself. I can do the things where this is God's place and prerogative to do these things in my life, but I think I can do it. The, when I stop seeking after him and stop yeah. knowing him. Yeah, thank you. You got my wheels turning. I'm just like thinking about just as you dig into the word, we see how big and mighty and holy he is and how small we are, right? We need to be reminded of that. And the fact that he would come after us and pursue us and reconcile us and love us, it, it's nonsensical, but it's so true. It's glorious and it's beautiful, but we'll only find those truths in the word. Who else wants to encourage us this morning? These are great words from you guys. Get Andrew back in the back. going back to the Colossians passage um, verses uh, 13 and 14 you know to the other Angela I believe it was Angela's name uh, her comment was that sometimes we when we start falling away or, or not following God that we we lose sight of our sin and it's true it's it's our pride and I have sometimes more of a the opposite problem with pride which is where I forget that I am forgiven for my sin and it's a pride thing and it's good to be reminded especially in verse 14 that he canceled the record of our debt and and canceled the legal demands and he set this aside nailing it to the cross I needed to be reminded of that today yeah, amen. Thanks, Andrew. So if you've been reading through, we got Adam over here, but if you've been reading through Second Peter, keep going. After today, you're going to keep on hearing, and then he's going to land right where Andrew was. And he says, if these things aren't happening in your life, he says, you've forgotten that you've been cleansed from all of your past sins. Adam. I was reading recently for our Old Testament seminary class um, in Judges 2 it says this talking about Joshua and when Joshua dies and it says when Joshua dismissed the people the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land and the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua 
and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. They buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the very next verse it says, And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the other false gods. And it said the Lord, um, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. And they went after other gods. And it goes on. And, and that starts off the book of Judges. And throughout Judges, you continue to see a people who have forgotten. And they say, he specifically says they did not know God and they did not know his works. And we have the word of God, which gives us an account, the truths of what God has done and who God is. Um, and it's just a really strong reminder of how we, just like the people of Israel, it's easy to sit in judgment and to be like, oh my gosh, how could you like, how could you forget these things? I do it every, all the time. I notice the moment that I'm not continually reminding myself of these truths, of gospel truths that come from God's word, then our lives begin to go astray. Our own, our own sin, our own flesh begins to rise up and it's a continual battle of sanctification. Just like you quoted from John, Jesus said, you know, the word is truth. It's through being in the word that we continue to be sanctified. So I thought that passage was very fitting. Yeah. You can see what happens when a whole people forget and are not taught the truths of who God is and what God has done. Yeah, amen. We'll close our passing of the mic time today just for the sake of time. I want, you, I want to spend a little bit of time just really stepping into communion. Sam's going to lead us in communion. So Sam, if you will, worship team, come on up. Um, but communion is the same thing because a communion is given as a reminder. We need reminders. We are so prone to forget. So let me say this one thing, church, and then I'm going to quit talking, I promise. If, you're, if you are sitting there right now and you're feeling condemned because you aren't in the Bible as much as you should be, okay, just get rid of that. That's the enemy, Okay. The whole purpose of the word is to drive you to relationship with this God who loves you and has given himself for you. The thing that you need to hear is that the Lord loves you. He died for you. He wants to walk with you. He, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He's come that you might have life and have it to the full, have it more abundantly. You need reminders to be able to do that. That's why the word is central. Right, So do not walk out of here condemned today. I stink as a Bible reading Christian. You know, I just, I'm so bad at it. I'm so unfaithful. No, 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 no. Take what you've heard, give it to the Lord, and then just baby step. Just step in and see if the Lord doesn't meet you right where you are at. Sam.